So, hello. Hi. Hi, dear listener. Hi. Uh, so, we're doing uh, what is known in the trade as a cold open, aren't we, MJ? This is a cold open. So, we haven't done one of these before. It's a cold open. Are. No, so this is like... Uh, Sometimes if we've had like a content note that we needed to put mm. in, that's something I've recorded before when I've been editing a podcast, but I thought we'd just want to do a quick explanation uh, for this one. So mm. as you can see from the episode title, this one is, this podcast is about sadness. We recorded this uh, like a week last Friday. So it was just after the killing of George Floyd, but before all the protests were kind of mm. um, happening before, before really the the significance of the killing of George Floyd was really um, was really taken on board and really became the process that it was. So mm-hmm. um, if we'd uh, we would still want to have recorded this podcast after the protests, but we'd have we would have talked about different things. Mm-hmm. The the context for us recording this podcast episode was about COVID nineteen generally. Um, mm-hmm. Though we do think that it is an episode uh, that is uh, isn't just about the present moment in time. We think it's we hope that it's something that will uh, that will be relevant for in the future as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. So, yeah. So first and foremost, we mm. recorded this before um, uh, before everything really kicked off, and I think we both think a wonderful way mm. and absolute solidarity with everyone on protests and. Uh, Justice for George Floyd and also Breonna Taylor and um, mm. everyone else killed at the hands of uh, uh, police violence. Um, but also, I guess we just wanted to reflect a little bit over um, uh, a little bit about our thoughts over the last week mm. um, about everything that's been going on as like an introduction to this podcast. I guess so. Yeah. It's, it's the. Um, so, for example, we were talking about in this. We go on in this episode to talk about um, collective sadness and the opportunity for collective sadness, and that you know there are funerals, but there uh, there isn't often like a an opportunity for people to collectively grieve. Mm. And but during this last week, we've really, really seen that, and we've seen how powerful it can be, and we can we've seen how powerful it is for activism and to mm. and to uh, to use your expression in chase like to mobilize us towards justice to, yeah and um it's really powerful isn't well, it that's why we're talking that. on the the podcast you know because we followed this this one follows the kind of one that we did about anger um and we talk mm. we talk a lot about the need for both anger and sadness and i think that mm. we've seen that really woven together um that there's mm. been grieving and rage and the combination of both um, really motivating this um, in terms mm. of like this this uprising, yeah. Mm. And space for both, space we, has been made for both, you know, some yeah, sometimes yeah. together and some, sometimes separately. It's really powerful. Mm. But we also talk in the episode about the about the, the kind of the more the micro level as well of the 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 importance of um, the ability to feel both sad and anger for ourselves as a way of connecting mm. um, with other people and um, and the so you know, we recorded this before um, as I say before uh, the protest kicked off uh, and uh, but I think more generally when we're when we're looking at social justice and when we're, when we're looking at um, 
doing activism on a local, on a on on a more local and interpersonal kind of level. Mm. That the we're, we want to think about some of the ways in which we can um, think about when we felt sad and connect with our sadness and how uh, useful that is to understand someone else's sadness and how that can be used as a way of um, as like a, a method of activism. Um, at no point, though, are we suggesting that we uh, that um, we don't want to kind of um, you know this episode isn't about kind of um, uh, if only we could under if only protesters and police could somehow like sit and understand each mm. other then you know that's we're not saying that at all like the, yeah uh, it's much more nuanced isn't it using sadness as a point of contact yeah, um, yeah it's not about saying that the sadness you experience from one form of oppression is equivalent to to another form of oppression that perhaps you don't have a lived experience of. It's not about saying, it's yeah. not some false neutrality of like, let's listen to all sides. It's not that, it's mm. much more, yeah. yeah, I just think this, yeah, there's just, just this deeper thing you can get to if you allow the feeling, you know, and really feel the yeah. feeling first and let that motivate you something you know something again to help maybe distinguish between a more performative reaction and a more authentic mm -hmm. uh, genuine reaction which has again been something people have been talking a lot about of how, how do we get to that mm. to that genuine response um you know not and we talked about that in the episode exactly. as well yeah. that's something i mean we talked as you can see at the side of the episode itself that we recorded is an hour and four so we thought we'll just talk a bit more at the beginning now still <laughs> give you a bit yeah. more so yeah, it was. Uh, it's an episode we spent a lot of time mm. on, and I think we preempted some of the stuff that uh, we've seen um, this week that we would have talked about anyway. Mm. Um, uh, but the, the, we only preempted it because we've seen a lot of it happen already. You know, it's not. Yeah. This is not the first time, and it won't be the last time in the history of um, uh, black struggle against racism and police brutality. Um, so you know, mm. uh, it's. Uh, Hopefully things are going to really shift this time, yeah. but um, this isn't the end. And it's the this is the thing is that it's not just a moment. And I don't think that mm. history happens in moments like this. You know that we got to be here every day having these kinds of um, thoughts and conversations. And um, so that's where we are with this. So we're mm. not trying to say anything big about uh, what's been happening over the last week, but we've just produced a podcast about sadness generally. Yeah. So that's uh, where we and are. And we didn't put it out last week because we did want to just create, you know, space for ourselves and, you know, in general, just not wanting to add our voices to the world last week, really, but rather to amplify the, the voices of mostly black and people of colour talking about this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's why it's a little delayed in coming out. Um, but hopefully mm -hmm. it'll still be um, of value now. Um, and yeah, we're going to put some notes in the show notes of stuff that we were reading last week and, and this that we found mm -hmm. useful, um, which again, yeah. you know, feel free to follow up on or not. But um, yeah, mm -hmm. really using the time to educate ourselves and to stay with try and stay with the feelings um, and the discomfort rather than trying to sort of rush past it or act out of it in any way, which is, again, yeah. something we talk a lot about on the podcast. Big time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, our first joint cold open. Yes. Uh, that's that's we've done that now. So uh, we hope you enjoy the show and uh, listen to or see and now see past us talking about sadness. Um, hope you find it valuable. Thanks. Bye. Then. Bye. It's the Meg John. 
and Justin. Yay. Podcast. Hello. Woo. We've calmed down the A's and the woes, haven't we, during COVID? That we used to kind of yell them like turn oh. But it's good because yeah. actually also it's oh. it's hard it makes it harder to edit on the on <laughs> when oh, we're really yelling. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were nearly gonna bring us down a, a, a black hole of the Muppet Show again, oh, yeah, so let's, let's not go that. there. We have we have started podcasts that way before. We have, we have. <laughs> and also this is gonna be a long one, we think. So it might be that because we've done yes. a lot of prep for this one, we've kind of done this a bit differently. Well, we've done, mm. both done a bit of reading and we've both put loads of things in the Google Docs. So we've got a lot to get through. So consider this like a double episode, dear listener. Like consider this like um, yeah. consider this like two weeks worth of episodes, right? So um, because we're going to talk about sadness and it's a big topic and it's lots to be sad about. So, um, welcome, dear listener. We, uh, if you, if this is the first time listening to us, we're that's Meg John. Although I'm probably pointing in the wrong direction, and I'm Justin. We are. <laughs> we, <laughs> we do these podcasts, which um, are about sex and relationships, and our relationships to the world, and our relationship to ourselves. Um, very broad. There's always a blowjob tip at the end, and every, uh, every single time. <laughs> and this one is about sadness and being with sadness. We've done one about joy, and we've done one about anger. Uh, mm. We also did one about like the feeling of hopelessness as well, didn't we? So there might be a uh, bit yeah, of overlap. hopelessness and despair. Yeah. Maybe a little overlap with that one. Might be a bit um, of overlap. Yeah, but, but that's we're what going we through all of our. We are. We'll go through all emo- the emotions. The emotions. Yeah. <laughs> what have we got left? Fear, disgust. Yeah. A surprise, that's a feeling, isn't surprise. it? Surprise, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people add peaceful and powerful as okay. well. Yeah. We could do all of those. Um, we could. So uh, we also will write up a blog about this episode, uh, which you'll be able to see at our website, megjohnandjustin.com. We also have a Patreon, where if you subscribe to our Patreon, you will get extra bonus podcasts. So pretty much every other podcast we do, is for patrons at our Patreon, which is at patreon.com forward slash Mag, John and Justin. Uh, the links will be in the thing thing and in the what's it. So that's clear. Yeah, so, definitely all over it. Thing thing and what's it. <laughs> right, yeah. so um, we're going to talk about sad... Well, let's structure what it is that we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about yeah. how to be with sadness. And how to yeah, connect ourselves we get, well, with others, and how we can what well, we're going to chat ourselves about how we're feeling and whether we're feeling sad. We're going to talk about what is sadness and sorrow and grief, and unpack it. We're going to talk about staying mm. with sadness, sadness and connection and grief. We're also going to talk yeah. about sadness as a resource and injustice, and compare it to what we were talking about with anger. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about intersectionality: who's allowed to be sad and when and then there's going to be some takeaways at the end which is uh things to leave you with dear listener about how you might <laughs> not, want not to not like thai takeaway or indian takeaway sadly not uh no although I, you could have a takeaway while you're listening to this recommended i'm now thinking about having a takeaway later because it is friday <laughs> well, isn't it your afternoon. takeaway day friday yeah you, didn't this you choose like between fish and chips and pizza last time yeah i went with chips fish and chips that feels like yesterday. <laughs> I'm just yes. motoring. 
Uh, like I've said, you know, my days are kind of intermingling, and maybe I'm kind of maybe my response is to to be like disconnected and just to uh, mm. and just to kind of you know um, work, eat, watch telly, go to bed, wake up, do the same, you know. So maybe I'm maybe that's I can what I'm doing. Re- I can heartily recommend going through an intense process of trauma recovery because I feel like last Friday was like a million years ago because yeah, I've been through that, so much since then. Because that sounds really great from my end. It's I mean, just great. Valuable, but... Yeah. <laughs> I do not recommend it unless, unless you need to be going through it. Yeah, but if you want to follow my blog on rewritingtherules.com, oh, you can hear a lot about what I'm going through. Excellent stuff. Really useful Thank stuff. Thank you. Um, I'm learning a lot from reading it. It's so good. Yeah. So, um, let, we'll do a check-in with ourselves, MJ. So, mm. I'm not really feeling a... I'm feeling a lot of anger, particularly this week, because of being gaslit by the government over the Dominic Cummings affair and then coming on the media and just basically lying and then they're laughing at us and making yeah. us feel very powerless and uh, I'm definitely feeling kind of seething anger and also a bit of hopelessness and despair so um but i've not felt i wouldn't say i felt sad for a while sadness isn't something that i've been feeling over the last few weeks but i was thinking that when i was doing some reading for this and doing a bit of writing about it that might actually be quite useful for me to have a sad day or two you know um Mm. how are you getting on yeah, like I hit some sadness this morning, which felt appropriate mm. <laughs> given what we were going to be talking about. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it more in the podcast. But I think for me, there is something quite beautiful about sadness, especially when you're grappling with maybe harsher feelings like anger and shame um, or maybe anger out and anger in, I suppose, is, is mm. kind of what that is. Um, that sometimes reaching that point of sadness can be quite a relief um, and a kind of it can kind of ventilate it can kind of release it so I tried to let myself you know like have a cry this morning and yeah just really feel for exactly like you say what's going on the yeah just that awful feeling of powerlessness really seeing how people are being like differentially treated you know re- and just especially after the um, killing of George Floyd by police in Minneapolis mm-hmm. recently that sort of sense of just ha- this ricocheting of how different people's lives are being valued and not valued at the moment um, rich and poor <laughs> black and white you know trans and cis and just like seeing it all that all that intersecting and just feeling that as really heavy um, I think yeah reaching sadness f- around that stuff um, and around the, the places that we find ourselves within those those systems and that like you say the sense of powerlessness around a lot of it Mm. um to me that's it's a valuable place to get to um it it helps Mm. um to to release some of the feeling and also to feel yeah i guess it does make me feel quite um motivated to do something Mm. when i've given that when i've given that sadness some some time just to be Mm. yeah okay so let's go on to our first section where we'll talk about what it is um, yeah. before we then start unpacking it and talking about <laughs> what we usually do, which is politics and intersectionality. Yes, we'll get, get that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, dear listener, we, we're on that. <laughs> so, um, sadness is something that I think that we want to... It, it feels like it's an emotion that we kind of want to avoid. It, 
I was reading one of my, um, I've got this, uh, I won't, I won't um, diss the author publicly, but I've got a, a book for young people about building confidence and stuff. It's like, and I bought it years ago because it has some good activities in it. And I thought, oh, what's that got to say about sadness? And I went to mm. sadness and it said, you know, sadness uh, makes you feel, you know, heavy and uh, down and lethargic and grey. And it's best to be avoided. <laughs> like, fuck off. What? <laughs> so I put that oh, book well, down. I'm going to put it actually down in the bin. Yeah. <laughs> because I really don't think, I really hope I never thought, but I really don't think that sadness is something that we should avoid. But it's something that we are yeah. encouraged to avoid, I think. Mm-hmm. Um seen as something which is inherently negative and I think first and foremost that we shouldn't judge any feelings as, or emotions as being inherently negative or positive I think that it's mm. you just have to treat it for where it is don't you but I do and I think in some ways it's uh it can be any you know I get well again I got brought up definitely with a you know it's never okay to be sad mm. and somehow that's a you know, it's not okay to give people the impression you're sad because you're somehow doing something bad for them if you're sad, you know, and that kind of thing. But um, I, now when I feel it, it does have, I mean, like we'll get into those different versions of it, I suppose, but it does have this really beautiful quality. Mm. Um, you know, to me, it it feels nearly as pleasant as joy yeah. if I can really allow myself to feel it. It's just a really beautiful, tender, soft, gentle feeling, you know. I think it's it's yeah easier easier on the body and brain for me than uh, than an anger or a fear you know which can feel quite harsh you know those feelings well it's um, kind of whilst also being very valid it's mm. kind of slower isn't it it's yeah um, I value it for when I have felt sad and when I've been able to articulate to one of my strategies is to tell my inner circle that I'm feeling mm. sad via WhatsApp. And say you know what? So just so you know, I'm going to be quiet for the next couple of days, having an attack of yeah. the sads. Um, mm. I'll let you know if I need anything, but you know that's why I'm being quiet. And I've texted that to you and uh, other of my uh, close people, and it's like, um, cool, Justin, thanks for letting us know. You know, I'm here for you, mate. You know, just up this mm. quote kind of thing you would say. But if you if you're in that kind of once you've made that space, there isn't something necessarily to fear about it either. For me, um, mm. yeah, I do get that sense of it's... Um, I find it valuable and uh, kind of... Uh, yeah, there is like a, some kind of a pleasure to it, I think. I don't know, it just feels so... Mm. It just feels like so one of those really raw feelings that they... The thing that I take away from it is just to be like, you know, yeah, be like recovering after laughter, you know, when you're laughing and you're really mm. in your body. It's like, oh, you've just felt something so much. If I've like left a, a, a nightclub where I've been dancing and that, that moment when I come out and there's been so much joy and I'm like, oh, that was just, you know, yeah. it, all I can say is it was a feeling coursing through my veins. And I definitely get that with sadness as well. It's a very releasing one, If again, if you can allow it, especially if you can allow tears or sobbing or, you know, any any kind yeah. of expression of it. But even if you can just actually sit with the tenderness of it and the rawness of it, I think, yeah, it can really release. You know, that's that's why I think particularly 
embracing of it at the moment like if I get to sadness it means I've got kind of we'll get to this I suppose but underneath often the harder feelings that I have been feeling particularly around shame and fear Mm. like it's such a relief to get to just this like oh the sadness for me going through this for anyone else going through this it's Mm. just like you know something starts to flow again and also I think it can again if you can let it it can enable a real gentleness you know if like you'd be with somebody who is sad or an animal who is sad or a kid who is sad mm. you know can you be with your, if you can be with yourself like that and like really tuck yourself up get yourself a hot chocolate yeah. you know it's an emotion that to me now anyway it calls to that kind of treatment mm. um from from myself and others i think the kind of descriptors that i would use for how it how what what it feels like to be sad like what or how it's how it appears to me and how it how it is it feels very internal uh mm. and i feel um it's kind of like a grayness and like a, I feel quite listless and also quite heavy and um that i'm only that i'm only capable of doing very small very yeah. small things uh, and that in that space, I'm able able to do like self care and you know nurturing practices, definitely, but just not a lot of things. You know, I can do yeah small amounts of things, and then I need to put in huge slowness, huge gaps. We've done a podcast recently about this, and it's like, and that mm. is the way of getting through it. And you know, when I've done it and I've come out the other side of it, I feel better as a result. It is that release thing mm. that you're talking about, MJ. But I'm going yeah. to do my first yeah. name drop. Uh, but, you know, I'm trying to do more reading about more things. So, um, you know, I'm trying to learn more. And that's one of my... It was kind of a New Year's resolution to do more reading and to kind of mm. to pay a bit more, you know, to broaden my political and education, but also my general education. So yeah. I... No, well, I feel the same and inspired by you, Toff, and oh. look to the more political podcasts and things, which is good. So I been looking at the work mm. of one Donald Winnicott who is uh, you'll know about you know about Winnicott MJ so uh, he was yeah. uh, um, like would you say like psychodynamic uh, child family therapy guy is that right yeah exactly definitely followed on from Freud and co yeah and he wrote mm. this um, brief essay that I found online called the value of depression and he's mm. talking about so his, this is in like 1964. So, and he's kind of resisting the kind of the quite medicalized term that we have for depression at the moment. But I think that mm. his, where he's talking about depression, I would say read sadness because um, I don't think he's talking about depression as it would be read in 2020. Um, yeah. But uh, he's saying some really useful things, and essentially he is saying that. Um, that there is a paradox of sadness that it's something that we uh, we try to avoid and we try to negate and negate in other people and prevent other people from having it and actually yeah. that's counter what we actually should be doing that there is something inherently valuable in um, in being sad and feeling sad mm. he first of all talks about this in terms of like uh, part of growing up like part of maturation so the idea mm. that as you grow up that the idea the idea is that um it's part of the that the ability to feel sad is a sign of your i amness he calls it so the the sign that you are understanding that there is a you and other people and also that there is a mm. an inner you and an outer you so the, the idea yeah. of i can't remember his term uh, e, stru- e structural ego or ego 
ego structure or something. But I don't go in mm. for the psychodynamic terms too much, and I'm not a psychologist. No. And you are, and I feel like this is stupid that no, I'm we, doing the weather. No, we don't. We don't. <laughs> no, we don't study. They don't. They don't let us study psychoanalysis oh, and really? psychology. Like, yeah, no, that's the big fight. Is like the proper psych- science psychology versus the psychoanalysis. So right. actually, psychoanalysis is something I've only read about in quite recent years and found some value in it as well. So I'll yeah. tell you how I got... I I'm not familiar with this. I'll yeah. tell you how I got to this is that I've heard you speak about Winnicott and I've heard my friend Catherine Angel mm. speak about Winnicott and I saw his name come yeah. up online and I thought, okay, well, he must have something good to say about, <laughs> about sadness. <laughs> and he does. So that's Yay. literally where I'm at with my... I'm literally just drifting around trying to find interesting bits and bobs online. Um, so he then kind of goes on to... And he, he basically says, look, that for most people, what you need to do is to allow it, and mm. it's exactly the stuff that you talk about yeah. in staying with feelings. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's really good stuff. And he's saying that really, the thing to do is just to allow it, and just to mm. um, allow your trial, but also ourselves and others around us, just to go through it and come out the other side. And that when you do come out the other side, that you'll come out stronger, and actually, you'll. It's a mm. valuable experience for having gone through it because it is. Because particularly for children, because it is a sign of like maturation and them getting a, a sense of you know themselves and others, um, but also um, the, there is a sense of like the way he talks about it is a sense of boundary. So uh, an interesting kind of um, way that he talks about it is this is during this is in the, the mid sixties. So he refers to Berlin. So with mm. which at the time Berlin was like ringed off. So Berlin was. Uh, uh, certainly, West Berlin was um, uh, still controlled by the by, sorry, uh, by <laughs> the UK, uh, the US, and France. Uh, but West Berlin was in was situated in East Germany. So he was speaking mm-hmm. of West Berlin as being like a ring around which there is a wall, basically. But yeah. you could think of any like fortified city, basically. And he was saying, if you think about um, sadness or depression as like that you're in the walls of a fortified city and uh, a fog descends and you can't really see anything and it's murky and the sounds are all dimmed and the sounds are dulled and mm. occasionally you get cracks of light coming in but you, you get a, it, the way he's talking about it is that, that you, the thing that you get is this sense of the inner that you're in and a sense mm. of an outer and that you know that the fog is going to lift and that what you get afterwards is a great understanding of that inner and outer which yeah. I think in and of itself is quite useful. Um, yes, but he then also, well, a vital part of maturation. Yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. right. And he mm. also then talks about um, some of the things that might prevent this um, yeah. this process from happening. And I just want to read this one bit because it's really good. This is like he talks about the, um, he frames this as the, uh, so to our surprise, a person may come out of depression stronger, wiser, and more stable than before he or she went into it, or, you know, they. Uh, a great deal depends, however, on the freedom of depression from what might be called impurities. Any attempt will mm. be made to indicate that well, the nature of... So, basically saying that impurities prevent people from coming out of this, and he lists several of them. So, uh, he talks about uh, category D impurity. Of, I won't go into it, so I don't know why he's putting him in categories but anyway he's saying um a different kind of impurity one which is expressed in um uh i won't read that bit uh so basically saying look where depression exists but is denied or negated each detail of depression deadness heaviness darkness seriousness 
is supplanted by its opposite, aliveness, lightness, luminosity, flippancy, etc. He goes on to say, this is a useful defence, but then the individual pays for it by the return of the inevitable depression to be endured privately. So mm. it's that. So if somebody steps into your life and says, you know, well, cheer up or tries to chiv you along or bounces you on your knee or something, then they feel yeah. great for five minutes and then that person goes away and that person feels more sad and that because this person isn't really giving them the thing that they need. Um, yeah, it really resonates with what I've been reading around both trauma and shame yeah. lately. So the trauma literature suggests that if you're that sadness and grief are one way of releasing tension. So yeah, the David Trevelyan book that I read was saying, you know, imagine this um, kid crossing the road and there's a car coming and the parent kind of pulls the kid across the road and they manage to get to the other side and then the kid sobs, you know, mm. and the sort of the tears come. Like that's the really important release of what was a traumatic experience and that can be just moved through. Mm. But if that if the parent tries to stop the child having that reaction which a lot would because there's that sense of like you don't get to be sad or it's you know it's bad to be sad mm. then that's sort of locked in the body right um whereas the shame literature talks about the importance of having your emotions regulated by those around you so if you get sad or any other emotion and you get the sense that it can't be held by the people around you because they're telling you you shouldn't have this or mm. it's not okay or it's a bad thing on them or it's hurting them or whatever again you're not you're not being regulated mm. um and emotional dysregulation like that is what leads to people feeling shame on a kind of toxic level that they're a bad person Gosh. and they're not okay and feeling really unsafe um so it's yeah there's a kind of really dangerous impact kind of long term of denying other people's emotional states is it really kind of yeah it hampers you mm. in, in all the ways we've talked about before on the podcast but in those particular ways as well it can lead to trauma being locked in the body it can lead to giving people a, a sense of shame when, when you're in an emotional state you really need people around you to mirror it yeah. and regulate it and hold it and affirm that it's okay and if you get the opposite it really does take a toll quite a big toll on you i think well that i'm going to say something a bit more about that that kind of relates to that when i start talking about um melancholia mm. uh, in a bit uh, but so let's move on to the to the next section, which is it feels like where we've led in nicely to there about the importance of staying with sadness. Yeah, we've said a lot about this, um, but I want you to say some more about it because I love what you say about it. <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. I mean, it's just this whole idea, and I've got a zine about it on my website, rewritingtherules dot com. Um, staying with zine. feelings. It's free. Thank you. Stupidly, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> you can always support my Patreon if you yeah. want to <laughs> do it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's all about how to stay with feelings and different pa- practices you can use for staying with them. But you know, we talked about Inside Out, the movie last time, um, the Pixar movie, and actually, this is the specific emotion that Inside Out deals with yeah. is the idea of what would it be like if you tried to get rid of sadness. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the whole thing is that we need to be able to feel all the feelings and probably the ideal would be to be able to be with them all fairly equally in yeah. our lives. You know, like um, there should be just as much sadness as there is those other mm. emotions. Um, and actually there's a real sense of it, how it can make things a bit more beautiful mm. in the movie, the way that the memories that are tainted with sadness they look more beautiful and complex than the ones that are just pure joy. But I think this is where 
you know, again, we, we you mentioned about sadness versus depression. And I think in Inside Out, the senses is, is that if we try and not have any of the feelings, that's when we'll reach depression. And depression's more like this grey, foggy, blunt, blunted kind of place, whereas sadness has more, you know, it does have a heaviness and a lowness to it. Um, but, you know, maybe there's something about if we can stay with it as sadness, we may not need to go quite into depression i for me i feel like depression is more like a given up place mm. of like almost not being able to tolerate the sadness so i've gone or the shame or whatever and i've gone all the way to kind of just given up heaviness but it's it's a tricky one because i think yeah like you say i like winnicott's description of maybe like a fair letting yourself go into a fairly brief depression mm. that, that might have that same quality of being able to sort of be there and look after yourself there and move through it so perhaps, yeah, it's quite complex where the dividing lines are between these things. But really, the message is the more that you can allow the feeling, whatever the feeling is, and the more that you can really just feel it. Um, and whether that's just sitting with it and letting yourself feel it on the body, or sometimes it can be helpful to think like, what texture is this? What colour is this? What sound is this? Like, what TV character would this be? You know, you can use all kinds of quite practical methods to just really get in touch with what it feels like for you and describe it in a, a rich way yeah and you might have things to go to you know you might have like a a, a cuddly toy or you might have a mm. food stuff you know there might be like comfort foods there might be a playlist there might be a film you know there is things oh, that yeah. can help you nurture yourself through it and there are things that other people can do for you as well we'll talk about that towards the end with with uh, mm. the takeaways bit but um and at no point here, whenever we talk about depression and sadness, at no point are we, you know, trying to um, give kind of easy answers to how to deal with depression. Uh, we are talking about mm. sadness here rather than depression. Um, although there is, as Angela was talking about, there is this fine line. And uh, but um, that's, I guess, it's like a, a, a spectrum. But also, there is this medicalized element to depression, which is neither good nor bad. It's just a different. Mm. thing isn't it sorry it's just me saying something quite basic <laughs> no it's imp- no it's, it's important because it's not like saying oh like this is no. oh it's simple just be with sadness and then you won't get depressed no, you know exactly. or just be with be with depressed in a little way and you won't have to experience it in a big way it's like no most of us grapple with this stuff our whole lives and, yeah. and and i think it is really good to think back to what were the messages you received growing up about this stuff because for a lot of us it's by no means easy to get in touch with sadness no. you know many of us will be taught it just simply isn't okay or isn't even safe enough to express sadness. So, you know, it may take some time to get to a point where it does feel, you know, like you can get in touch even with that sadness feeling. Most of us cover it over with other feelings. So, you know, it can be quite a beautiful gift when you finally get to sadness because you're like, oh yeah, this is what was underneath all of that other stuff, yeah. Well, exactly. And that's the the thing that some of us are going to find it easier to be sad than others. Like if it was more okay for us to be sad and if we've had experience of this, you know, maturation that we talked about, this... Mm. uh, uh, of being allowed to feel sad, then it's going to feel easier for us. Um, mm. Just to, uh, I was, when I was reading Winnicott, uh, he was saying that melancholia is a medieval term. So I was like, oh, mm. right, I know a medieval. Do, do we know anyone who knows anything I about know, medieval? Yeah, I do. History. So I spoke yeah. <laughs> to my girlfriend, who is also known as Dr. Eleanor Yanniger. Um I'm just going to read out the WhatsApp chat very briefly. Yeah, do it. Fuck it. <laughs> uh, reading out my girlfriend's WhatsApps. This is <laughs> this is the research I'm doing now. No, uh, but I like that we go to all over the. I've got some tweets later to mention. It, it just you know, it's like it's whatever whatever comes together, and also it's nice and 
kind of levels out the different forms of expertise, yeah. right? I apologise yeah. for, my, for myself. I shouldn't do that. Anyway, as I said, I've just been reading about sadness and melancholia, a medieval term apparently. She said, yep. <laughs> uh, linked <laughs> to excess black bile. And I said, was there a distinction between mourning and melancholia? She said, yeah, because mourning is brought on by specific incidents of loss and melancholia is linked to a humoral imbalance. So uh, black, so humor theory um, is that there are four humors, black bile, yellow bile, water, and better just double check that. No, blood. Blood, yellow bile. Oh yeah, black bile, yellow bile, blood, and yeah. water. And that yeah. you're, the, any problems that we say in the medieval period, um, uh, following on from ancient Greek ideas of medicine, I believe they followed Galen, yeah. Galen's theory of the four humors, and that Anything that's wrong with you is basically you've got too much or too little of one of those four things. Anyway, mm. so um, melancholia is linked to a humoral imbalance, so it can be seen as an illness. Melancholic, meanwhile, is a temperament, so you might naturally have a bit more black bile if something bad has happened, if, you, if you're mourning someone or mourning a loss of something or if you're feeling sad. Um, but being prone to melancholy is more like a, like a kind of a condition, like an illness, where you just have more black bile on a on an ongoing basis. Um, mm. I've kind of summarised what we were saying there. So, um, nice. But this is something that also Freud picked up on as well, which um, I'm going to talk more about this later on when we talk about politics, because I think it, there's an interesting thing that we need to talk about here with politics and activism and how we change the world um, to increase the capacity for us all feeling all the feelings when we want to, rather than having to feel sad and mm -hmm. angry. Um, and anyway, um, so um, so that where so Freud is again right. So again, I'm, I'm I'm the person doing the Freud stuff. So correct me if I'm wrong here. But there is he was kind of pointing to a difference of that a difference between mourning and melancholia, where mourning is like an event, and we talked about this where just now, where you know a sad thing happens, you're allowed to mourn it, you're allowed to feel sad. People around you give the, the the permission to feel sad, and it moves, and, it, and you go through it, and you come out the other side. That's not to say that's not something you don't then might then not never go back to. You can keep feeling uh, memories of that sadness, and you can keep coming back to it um, on a mm. regular basis, and have you know a cry, and have you know some sad times, and that's and that's still mourning. But he talks about the difference between mourning and melancholia. So melancholia, he was... So I'm reading a quote here that I'm not entirely sure I understand, but then I'll read another quote from George Michael, which gives you my interpretation of how I understand it. <laughs> so he's talking about... Um, so Freud says, a loss of a more ideal kind than mourning. The object has perhaps not actually died, but um, has been lost as an object, ob object of love. The George Michael quote that this mm. kind of reminds me of is from Jesus to a Child, which is all, which is mm. a magnificent song. Pray for a Saint George, uh, Ore pro nobis, we love you. <laughs> Jesus to a Child was about his uh, his first um, big love, uh, Anselmo, uh, who died of an age-related illness, um, and he wrote mm. a beautiful song about him, which is oh, incredible. Um, and he says in it, and every single memory has become a part of me and you will always be my love. Which, on the one hand, sounds like mourning, but also I think sounds like melancholy, that there's something there that mm. he is going back to, the, 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 an imprint has been made on him as 
as a person on his it's kind of got inside his inner i suppose and that it is like a and that there is a holding on there which i think is kind of related to mourning but also sounds like melancholia um Mm. so i think that we can be there is sadness but then if there is this kind of ongoing holding on of a loss um then that is something that Freud interrogates a lot. And also I'm going to come back to them and talk about politics. But I think that there is like a... If we're not allowed just to feel the events and to allow them at the time to happen, then this kind of ongoing kind of sadness that we might talk about that might might become like a depression or the medieval yeah. term um, melancholia is that is something... What are we holding on to? And there's another quote that kind of reminds me of this is um, uh, Jeanette Winterson wrote this great book called... Uh, written on the body and the opening line of that is mm. why is the measure of love loss and so it's a sense of it's a story about someone who's really heartbroken and it's like that to lose something tells you how much you loved it and so it's almost as if you're holding on to that rather than experiencing the core thing of the of losing someone um, am i kind of making yeah. sense there you do yeah and it makes me think um yeah, Judith Butler picked up on this Freud mm. Freud's idea of melancholia around gender because she was kind of talking about the loss that people can feel if they've just closed down options to themselves because they feel like to be a woman they need to close down these aspects that could be seen as masculine and vice versa. Right. So there's something about melancholia as like, yeah, loss of opportunities of close down close close down opportunities for yourself or ways that you don't allow yourself to be so again you could sort of see it as more in, in keeping with that kind of not allowing yourself to feel things so can can kind of be more the melancholia yeah the like, way this came up for me was mm-hmm. i'll talk about it later was in a podcast about being here now like being in the here and now and that kind of makes sense then mm-hmm. for me that yeah. Maybe there is a difference that might be. I don't know whether this is useful for you or not, dear listener. But if that, but for me, if I'm feeling sadness, either because of an event or a memory of an event, or I'm just something just hits me, yeah. um, I'm really, really present. I'm really in that moment, and I'm really just mm. like I can feel everything. You know, even though yeah. it's even though there's a there might be a grayness and a heaviness, I'm really like. I'm really in my body. I'm really feeling mm-hmm. it. But at times when I'm feeling just kind of like grouchy or disconnected or mm. just somewhere else, maybe that's like melancholia for me. Maybe it's that I'm... Yeah. That maybe, maybe there is a difference there. Um, that, you might, that you might want to think about, dear listener, if, that's, if this is something that resonates with you, but... Just the point that we've got to so far is that the um, is the benefits of allowing ourselves to be sad, and that it's uh, natural to be sad and completely um, mm. logical to be sad, and that actually the best way to deal with it is to allow it and be yeah. it and come out of it, and then yeah, mm. and we can relate it to the current time. I suppose I feel like you know a lot of the problematic stuff that's happened has been around people trying to adapt too fast, Mm. you know, to something, to a situation that involves a lot, you know, huge amount of loss Mm. on a global scale. Um, You know, whether it doesn't, whether it or not, it hits close to home for us, you know, the kind of precarities and losses that pretty much everyone's experienced. So this sort of idea of like adapting to 
the current situation or making the best of it or like suddenly being really productive mm-hmm. or all of this feels like it's sort of yeah. again like the, the wider culture just as our upbringings in in this wider culture probably told us it wasn't really okay to be sad or mm. only about some things and mm. not others you know this idea of appropriate sadness um similarly you know we get this message all the time you know and it is this real neoliberal capitalism that we talked about on that mm. podcast the graph always goes up mm. you know up is to happiness to joy to high feelings excitement it's not really okay to hang out mm. in the low places um with with sort of neoliberal capitalism um and again it's uh, there's a, a lot of damage i think if we can't grieve if we can't touch into sadness mm. you know again that it really makes me think about this whole idea of like which bodies and lives and labor mm. are valued and which aren't because if we can't touch into sadness we can't feel that grief of like some groups being put at, like way yeah. more risk than others and um you know the the divides between rich and poor and global north and global south and you know all of this um, the way other anim- you know the other way other species get treated it's like that's that's the thing that connects us to all of that um and to and enables us to you know i suppose it's 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 to me sadness is about connection it's about compassion it connects us to our own vulnerability and that of others and it's such a relief to get there because it's it's yeah like underneath all of this stuff that we do to try and protect ourselves from the really hard stuff mm. is the sadness and to be able to actually feel it, what's going on at the moment. Have we moved ahead to this bit about fighting injustice here? or Because it feels like we're, we're saying some of the things that might be part of this or should we go back to... Yeah, I, I suppose it's, you know, like this is about what we were going to say next around sadness and connection. Mm, yeah. But I think that, you know, it sort of feeds naturally into the sense of it. it can kind of make us feel connected to other people in a way that makes us want to do something Mm. you know I suppose I think about um yeah like how do I feel when I see this these kind of news stories um you know and or see somebody homeless or Mm. you know there's that kind of blunting that you can do Mm -hmm. you know or around thinking thinking about where your food comes from or you know you can just like switch off Mm. don't want to it's Mm -hmm. too much it's overwhelmed and and sadness gets you to that like I can connect with it I can feel that um often through connecting with our own vulnerability Mm. and the times when maybe we've experienced loss or grief and then we can oh like it is it's like that so the kind of um, reactivity we've talked about on previous podcasts, you know, going into the fight or flight or freeze mm. or fawn, you know, like those are all ways of kind of not going to sadness, I think. Mm. That's one way of seeing them. And like, mm. it's about, sadness is a real, you know, this is what my Buddhist teacher, Pema Chodron, talks a lot about. It's like, it's a real place you get to if you can take all the armour off. Yeah. You know, get rid of all of those strategies of trying to, you know, trying to make it okay, trying to get really busy, mm. blaming it all on somebody else, you know, just going into freeze because it's all too hard. You know, it's like all of that's gone and you're just left with kind of naked, raw sadness Gosh, underneath yeah. it all. I've been doing so much of that um, during the the COVID-19 pandemic. You know. I mean, just a, a thing here about um, collective feeling mm. um, that, well, first of all, a, a couple of things. Firstly, because of how poorly our government have handled this, um, it's not been possible for, uh, you know, there have been many, many more excess deaths than, you know, many more deaths than there should have been. And uh, because we haven't had uh, testing, tracking, trace, 
um, and not enough testing and not enough tests coming back. Materially, that means that people aren't able to connect with people sad around sadness because they can't go to funerals. Or they yeah. just can't be there at somebody's in the hospital at somebody's someone's last moments. Um, and so there's been an awful lot of people disconnected from being able to go through those feelings. And for a lot of people, it might be that they can't feel like they can go through that. Mm. And so and more broadly, because we haven't been able to go out in the streets, but also it's difficult, we'll come on to this later, but it's difficult, I think, to communicate a sadness for various reasons. Like sadness outwards is a tricky emotion to communicate with others, but something that we can collectively communicate is anger. And definitely mm. this week, with if you're living in the UK, like the Dominic Cummings stuff, like mm. everyone is seething. Even people whose politics I despise are agreeing with me about yeah. about this and how we're all being gaslit about it. But yeah, this, but collective sadness, I don't think is going to get a look in. The only time that I've really thought that collective sadness was a thing was the death of Diana. You know, things mm. like you know, like that kind of collective. We're all grieving and we're mourning um, somewhere. I think everyone who was there grieving for Diana, it was a complicated grieving process and I probably don't want to talk about this too much, but you know, but I think that mm. people were standing next together, next to each other in grief. And I wonder whether there's going to be a moment where we can have that because yeah. um, I think we're going to need it. And I think this, this thing that you're talking about here of, um, shutting ourselves off to, you know, to news stories or just not wanting to go there and, and being busy and wanting to do things. It's definitely something that yeah. I've been doing and I know a lot of people have been doing, but the we're, we're doing this thing that Winnicott was talking about where if we don't just allow it, then it becomes something else. Then it, it will, mm. it's, uh, it's something we're, you know, pushing a rug down and a lump comes up in, the, in another part of the room and... Yeah, and I think maybe towards the end of the takeaways, we can talk about ways of doing that. But I think there are ways of opening up spaces. Like before this all happened, I knew of some groups who were doing it around climate change, and you know this idea of deep adaptation to what to what's coming in terms of climate change, and making like space to have. Because again, yeah, if you don't grieve it, you can't move through to this. What can we do about it? Place, or if you do, it's it's risky because you're going to be doing it out of all of those reactive places because you haven't really contacted with the feeling potentially so I think that's yeah that's what's really important to kind of allow the grief um and we can we talk again about appropriate places of doing that and not inappropriate places of doing that because I think like all the emotions can be expressed in quite reactive ways that then you know do do problematic things and sadness is no exception it can be kind of performed in ways that are unhelpful oh, as well yeah. um, yes <laughs> yeah. I've read the notes yeah <laughs> we'll get that <laughs> yeah so do you want to say yeah um about we both had sort of thoughts about sadness as a resource for fighting injury because yeah. I think it was just because we were looking at the notes from the anger one and that, I don't know if we'd have thought of this otherwise, but because I was going through those headings yeah. and we'd got anger as a resource for fighting injustice. I was like, wow, sadness as a resource for fighting injustice. And then, it, you know, it made me think, actually, it's a it's a really important resource for fighting injustice. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that it is. Mm. I think it is. But I think that mm. uh, I, I think in a different way, I think in a more yeah. like, long, I think in a I think over the longer picture, um, 
And I think as part of a process where we're allowing all of the feelings um, mm. to be involved. Um, I think I, I don't. We, when we talked about anger, we talked about it being an energy, and the mm. the what Audrey Lord was saying about the symphony of anger and how, mm. and, and again what Judith Butler was saying about how anger was being used in a non-violent way uh, in Black Lives Matter and in, and in Me Too, um, and we're in the middle of another, you know, the shocking death of George uh, George Floyd. We're going to see this again, I think, once the once the initial completely justifiable anger um, uh, subsides, uh, we're going to see hopefully hopefully more of this. But uh, anyway, that's the anger podcast. We're on the sad podcast. podcast. Um, but I but it, I think anger is also about. Um, Again, what we talked about it, and again, anger in, in the Pixar film Inside Out. Again, if you're not if you've not seen this film, honestly, do listen. Yeah. get on it's it. Real gold. Yeah, <laughs> um, anger is interested in justice and therefore bound and boundaries and setting boundaries. So yeah. I think what anger does is maybe gives us space to allow us to feel sad. It, I think it can build. It helps mm. us to build this. Eye. It helps us with that fortress of. Um, understanding our inner and the outer and i think sometimes we just need to feel safe in that um in the inner and you can't just in the same way that i was saying you know when i'm feeling like i'm having a sad couple of days i'll text people you know i'm putting in like a moat around my Mm. mom bailey castle what i'm turning into a medievalist but um it is like um but i think that we need to do it because i think Mm. that ultimately like sadness is like it i think it is uh it puts me in a place of feeling vulnerable while I'm in it. You know, it's like I'm yeah, not feeling strong during it, but I know that once I'm yeah. through it, once I come out of it, I'll be stronger after. So long yeah. as we can go through it in as a pure way as possible, as Winnicott was saying, if we can get through sadness mm. without guilt or shame uh, yeah. or um, anyone trying to just make us feel different things if we can just get through it in that way then we do come out yeah. of the other side more strongly so in that sense i think that that's not something that people are doing enough of right so i don't think people mm. just to talk about left-wing politics again i don't think people have been mourning um the missed opportunities with bernie sanders and jeremy corbyn um mm. as left social uh social justice potential for social justice from uh, the left there mm. Um, that we so desperately need um, I think um, it's not something that um, people have had an opportunity to mourn uh, probably because of coronavirus Um, Mm. but also it is like I think it is a a necessary thing but I think the sorry I've got quite a bit in the notes about this so it's me (laughs) no I like it yeah carry on we're doing it in a new way aren't we I'm quite enjoying having notes it feels like a feels like a show you know Rather yeah. than us chatting, but there's a bit of us chatting as well. Can I chip in on the boundaries? Yeah, thing yeah, yeah. While you're there, yeah. yeah. This idea, I love this idea of needing the boundaries to enable the vulnerability because mm. it relates to a lot of what I've been writing about around trauma or reading and writing about and experiencing. Um, well, first of all, there's this real sense with trauma of we need we've lost care and protection mm. and we need care and protection. Mm. So care and connection, it's all about the vulnerability piece and the protection is all about the boundaries. Mm. So it strikes me that you're saying that anger and sadness work together, like anger is about the protection. Here's my boundaries. And then that enables sadness, which is about the care of the self, but also the connection with others through that sadness and the vulnerability. 
And then thinking about how they map onto the trauma responses, um, you know, anger is really that fight response, which can be good. You know, it yeah. can be a really useful response, right? It's the one that's about boundary setting. Mm. And it seems like sadness is much more related to me to that fawn response, which is a really vulnerable response mm. that's like trying to please people because I'm really vulnerable and small. Mm. So that, you know, to me, those those two parts that when I can access them, fawn is very much the part that's related to sadness and vulnerability and um, fight very much to boundaries mm. and protection and clarity. Um, and on, on a recent blog, I had a kind of conversation between those two parts of me seeing them as, you know, both necessary mm. because if we can have yeah if we can have the boundaries for ourselves then we can feel the sadness and the vulnerability like you said mm. but also if we've got good boundaries with other people then we're also safe enough to kind of connect with them because we know what's okay and what isn't in terms of how they treat us mm. so you know i think this for me the sadness is that root into the connection with others and feeling their vulnerability and our vulnerability. So it's all about connection. Mm. Whereas the anger is all about, yeah, protection and boundaries. And we need that mixture of both. Mm. So I really like your your sense of anger and sadness of working really well together. And, you know, mm. anger without sadness is pretty dangerous because we can really just label everybody else wrong and smash people yeah. and think that that's okay. With what the sadness does is it humanizes everyone and even, you know, even our souls, we can see like they're coming from that place of reactivity, they're really scared too. You know, it's like it kind of, but you know, sadness without the anger is just like you're a pushover and maybe you yeah. give everybody too much leeway and you, you don't have those boundaries and you don't stand up for justice because you're too small and vulnerable. So it's like, that's such a good way of looking at it. Yeah. That's really right? interesting because, yeah. the, because if we're it's hard to connect with people who are angry when you're. It's hard to connect with people when you're angry and they're not. Like if you're not angry about if you're if the thing that's making you angry they're not angry about then hmm. it's difficult to connect with them. But if you can connect with people around sadness, then there is the possibility of social justice because we need connection in order mm. to in yeah. order to get it. Like activism and politics, have we have to be able to be. Uh, making alliances with people. I'm not saying that we uh, shouldn't punch fascists, although yeah. But I'm not. I'm not saying we should be friends with fascists or sit down and have cups of tea. But the possibility mm. for connecting with people we disagree with around sadness is is there. Yeah. If we can, if we, but we can only do that if we're in touch with our own sadness, right? If it's something that yeah, we just disavow exactly. and don't allow into our lives or don't allow into our politics more broadly, if we can't connect with it, how are we going to connect with anyone else? And um, yeah. so I think that they are, I kind of see, you know, if there was a second a follow-up to um, Inside Out, I would see like anger and sadness kind of teaming up, you know, and the anger's yeah. like, wait a minute, you know, he's like standing there in front of his mate sadness and it's like, and sadness is just having a minute and everyone's just like, chill. Yeah, um, that's it. And then there are other times when anger has to just go over here and we have to hear from sadness and then the ability for everyone mm. to connect is like, is much greater so um i think it's yeah just... i completely agree i think those two are really interesting to put into exposition and like i say i did have that you know you might want to do the same thing of like could you have a conversation between your anger yeah. and your sadness like yeah. what would that look like because i think one without the other is risky you know i feel like when i'm sad without the anger i'm just going to collapse you know any criticism i'm just too vulnerable but when i'm you know angry with without yeah with angry about the sad it's like it doesn't have that place of connection and you know you're going to lose 
allies and you're, you're going to overrule people and you, uh, the, the worst is you become as bad as the thing you're fighting right Big you time. know which we have seen happening Big yeah. time. Mm. gosh that's such an interesting point um mm. so um i think the other thing that is valuable about sadness is that if it is like an introspective um thing where we are giving ourselves permission to be slower and being in the moment and noticing things it gives us valuable information about what's making us sad but it's also yeah. I think there's a corollary there I think it's uh, like it goes in both directions that we, it, it gives us valuable information about um, what it is that's making us sad but also we need the valuable accurate information about what is making us sad in order that we have we're feeling sad about the right things at the right time like so mm. um, so for example um, to be sad about the state of the world um, is completely valid because it's uh <laughs> feels pretty rubbish out there um but it is um it is still okay to also think about you know that there has been some progress that the that or that there are there might be some positive things happening or that there that things are a bit better than they used to be in some respect now that's not to say it's not to talk about um uh, another term I've learnt recently: the fallacy of um, the fallacy of relative privation. I.e., there's always someone worse off than yourself. Or that cheer mm. up, there's nothing for you to be sad about. You know that's complete yeah. bollocks. But it's also just not accurate to basically. It's if you're sad out of inaccuracies, then I think that there is something that is not very political about that. I think there's something a bit yeah. crap politics about that. If you're not really taking all of your information into account, also if you're ignoring some information and you're ignoring uh, Black Lives Matter movement at the moment and you're thinking well you know mm. if you're the kind of idiot who says all lives matter then you have bad politics but um, but I think it's important to get the right information but also sadness is an opportunity to get the information about the world well, yeah we people can play on our sadness can't they as well but that makes me think of that like the sort of tugging at the heartstrings kind of stuff um that might give be giving us real misinformation and just really making us you know making us feel bad about stuff without that kind of it being it being legit like we need to yeah i think and then and that can lead us to a quite individualized solutions you know that if we get made to feel a bit guilty and a bit sad you know about um yeah some aspect of climate change or whatever and then you know it, it all just turns us into just trying to do our own little bit but it doesn't kind of activate us outwards yeah, yeah. i suppose there's a there's a yeah. yeah there's a cluster of things where we're kind of encouraged to feel sad in ways that doesn't really help us to do anything from it no that's a I really think. good point yeah mm. um the other thing i should mention without here, the information like you say yeah yeah um mm. So, but you know just linked to that as well is that you know that in politics and in activism that it see it does seem to be um like cool or more acceptable to be to be angry and that sad isn't okay uh you know who mm. goes on twitter and says i'm just really sad about all of this at the moment you know it's that it's, yeah. it's kind of less acceptable like as an outside kind of expression of something but it's also kind of cool to say things are rubbish. Like a lot of my favourite podcasts, like my favourite po- my favourite podcast, which is really funny, is Trash Future, and their whole raison mm. d'être is that everything is really shit actually at the minute, and it's kind of funny. And I'll listen to it, and it's funny. I come away with it thinking it's funny, but also like, oh god, everything is a bit shit. And it's like <laughs> they would never do a podcast, and there isn't the kind of the the culture of 
would do, you know, brilliant future. Mm. There isn't a, the, there isn't a culture of you know amplifying really great things, which is something you and I yeah. kind of get frustrated about. You know, we put out all this great content, and because we're not dunking on people saying that other people are shit, it's less popular. But you know, <laughs> but that's just the nature of the world at the moment. Um, we do say all sex advice is shit and like all relationship advice. Yeah, but we don't pick on people, do we? We're, we certainly no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, uh, which yeah. Is a shame well, just be careful when you. We could do, but like, I just think be careful when you start down that road because where are they coming from? You know, this is my point about sadness. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, mm. So, but I think coming back to like sadness and melancholia is interesting here. So I'm going to mm. bring up this idea of left melancholia, which is something that I, I've been learning mm. about um, recently. So. If you remember when I was talking about uh, melancholia, the, the, the difference between sadness and melancholia is that sadness is more about an event and that you feel the feelings and you get through it. And you can go back to feeling sad again in the future about it, but it's not something that stays with you. It's not like a kind of, uh, it doesn't have its own kind of internal memory. It's not something that you are, that a part of you is like holding on to in that way. Um, yeah. But this, this is also true for like, uh, the people can be melancholic for a particular way of doing politics. Uh, in the past, mm. but uh, but we can't recreate that politics, and it's stopping us from from imagining a future. And that's basically the tenet mm. of left melancholia. So there have been many on the left. There have been many defeats over the, over the over the years. There have been many defeats since I've been a voter for the left over the years. Yeah. And rather than feeling the feelings and going through them and feeling sad and coming out of them. There is instead a kind of a, an ongoing melancholia where there is like a wanting to go back to a time when, uh, you know, there is like a, mm. a longing for the left of the of the nineteen sixties. Or, but people forget that the 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 left that people were longing for was only there for like twenty years. There wasn't that kind of left before that. You know, there wasn't the kind of the left wing politics um, that for for you know for giving workers mm. what they needed before the end of the Second World War or after. It was like the 50s, 60s and the early part of the 70s that is something that we were longing for. But it prevents us from being here and now and thinking of new solutions and new ways yeah. of organising, new ways of seeking out social justice. And I think that's like a really interesting way to... to so one of the things that we can do is to allow ourselves to feel sad about when we lose or when we're not doing so well or, mm. you know, if we you know, whatever, and then to kind of, to to use that as a way of giving us, again, thinking about walls, of giving us some, you know, be, being able to be back, quite bounded around that and being able to come back to it, but meanwhile, be able to be creative and think about what it is that we need, you know, to be yeah. in the here and now and to be present. Um, to imagine futures. And that's where sadness and joy work together again, is like allowing the sadness for the past so that you can feel that potential for the future. Like you can't do the one without the other yeah. if you're stuck in the past because you haven't grieved it. And I think that works personally as well, mm. you know, that we can become very stuck. Certainly been talking about that recently in relation to trans and also mental health stuff mm. that, you know, when you recognise, you know, that if you're trans and you could have transitioned years ago but you didn't you know the, the can you can get very stuck in like well I'm never going to get to be that teenage boy or right. girl or whatever you know or I didn't get to be a non-binary child or you know you can get quite stuck in what you haven't had 
but you know there's a there's a certain point which is so important to like grieve that loss it is a very legitimate loss and one that isn't necessarily recognized but if you don't kind of grieve it then it like you're losing the here and now and the potential future right in a similar way and the same can be true like for noticing your stuck patterns or mental health struggles and you know addictions how they've come around and again and again it's like you can get very um aware of just how much of your life has kind of gone into that again that, that can keep you kind of stuck in it rather than you've being able to grieve it and but you do get to live now you know it can be really hard to kind of free yourself Mm. from the past I think yeah personally and politically I like the way it works on both those levels that we can be so and we see that on the left and the right as well you know there's that real hankering isn't there that real nostalgia for the past whether whether people are left wing or right wing that that it was like those better days back then in in the Um, podcast that really so I'll I'll link to this but the um, ACFM Mm. podcast that uh, I often talk about which I think is brilliant and I've learned so much from it it's uh, part of the Navarra Media uh, podcast series Uh, it features Jeremy Gilbert Nadia Idol and Kia Milburn and they were talking Mm. about this in their podcast Be Here Now um, which uh, we'll link to. But they were kind of talking about, they were all saying, Jeremy Gilbert was saying this really interesting thing, which I shared with you before we started the podcast, was that um, mm. he doesn't have left melancholy, he just uh, has sadness. So he has sadness yeah. for um, the for uh, the destruction of working class solidarity. And that's like after that, so, because he was old enough to have lived through the miners' strike. So he's like, to, to remember the miners' strike, we've both lived through the miners' strike. And yeah. so... Um, he says, you know, every couple of weeks I'll just, you know, have a bit of a cry. I'll shed a tear about what happened during the minor strike. And then mm. and then that's it, you know. And so the way he speaks about it was really interesting. But he, he was saying he doesn't feel left melancholia, but there is probably a centrist melancholia or a neoliberal melancholia. I think it's really interesting that people haven't mm. accepted, again, this is super political, we'll get back to, I sound really lefty here, but... There hasn't been an acceptance by so many people who might consider themselves like centrist or sensible that 2008 happened. Like, graph is mm. not going up. So yeah. neoliberalism was only like working in and of itself when graph when line went up on the graph. And it can't mm. go up anymore because of 2008. And it won't. Yeah. We can't we won't be able to go back to it. So if there are, if anything, there's a they were saying that there's this centrist melancholia and that really that might be something for 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 people to think more about that actually there is like a people might need to mourn that you that an Obama or a Blair or a Clinton right now is not going to help you know we need something Mm. else well absolutely and I suppose the same with the this period of lockdown you know there's this real potential to mourn those old systems and recognize how broken they were they always have been you know it's not that yeah it's like this the hankering to go back to normal you know, it's really problematic because normal was so so bad for so many people yes. and the planet and other species. And it's like, so can we grieve that past normal yeah. in order to look for something different yeah. rather than having that sense of like holding on to that normal and sad that we can't have it? You know, it's a different kind of yeah, like you say, maybe that more that melancholy is less helpful such an than important the point sadness that maybe yeah. what we need to do is grieve the fact we can't have cheap flights everywhere now. Yeah, I think it's really, really important. Again, on a personal level, mm. 
families, communities, wider world. Mm. It's like, can we notice when things are falling apart and grieve it? Because mm. then we have the chance to put something else in its place with more solid foundations. Mm. You know, that's that's kind of why, you know, I talk flippantly about the trauma stuff I'm going through in a sense, but that's how I'm experiencing it. It's like, you know, yeah, it's really hard, but it's a way of like, raising something to the ground that yeah. was not working and the chance to build more solid foundations and I can feel that kind of happening internally and the same is like I would invite everybody's like communities and the wider world to try and do that same like recognizing what's fallen apart and grieve it you know not pretend that it's still there or that we could quickly get back to it yeah yeah, yeah. and what the sense of all the possibilities of a new normal and a better world as a result of it as Mm. Whilst also being able to grieve, the, yeah, grieving the things that we lose, that and that they, yeah. um, that's where bringing all the feelings in the joy, the sadness, the anger, the disappointment. Uh, you know, we have to be; they have to all be accessible to us, and we have to be working in mm. on that kind of level. Exactly. Should we move on to intersectionality and sadness, which is a like, super yeah, I guess section? I just yeah, I just wanted to like add on to that. I suppose again from that more more the personal perspective mm. of sadness and sorrow. Um, something I really get, again, from Pema Chodron, like she really talks about sadness a lot as this beautiful thing. She talks about the tender heart of sadness. Mm. She talks about start from a broken heart, like that's the best place to wow. start. You know, it's really like is sadness like, is the answer here. Is that like the vase is already broken idea? Or? It's more like, um, like sadness is the thing that can, um, like that, the whole point of the kind of, I kind of kind of Buddhism is to try and be the best you can for the world, mm. you know, to alleviate the suffering of the world. Mm. So the only place you can start from is is feeling the suffering of the world. Mm. So really, the thing that stands in the way is everything we do that covers up that feeling. Mm. You know, it's like the ways we block, yeah. and that's why um, a lot of those Buddhist meditations do that thing. Like you start with compassion for yourself, and then you try and feel it for a close friend, and then for a, a neutral person or stranger, and then for someone you find difficult. Mm. All those practices which i actually find quite difficult but you know they're all about trying to remove the blocks so that you can feel literally the same kind of the same sadness you would feel for your own suffering mm. or for the suffering of a, a an animal you hold dear or right. your own child or something you'd have that same response to a stranger in a foreign land right, right. like that's that that's the point because yeah. then we're going to want to alleviate everyone's suffering which is a really similar idea to intersectional feminism really mm. it's like that until until everyone's free no one's free yeah. you know it has to be all of us mm. um and that's the say that's why I, i'm so drawn to those two perspectives i suppose so that so to to the buddhist and pema's the one that like my way into that is like sorrow and sadness is the way into kindness and compassion mm. you know that's they're so helpful mm. because if we can feel it and and you have to feel it for yourself like mm. it's going to be really hard to feel it from anyone else if you can and also there's an extra piece I think of that if you can really feel it and if you can really know your own patterns the way you block it and the things that you put on top of it to stop yourself feeling grief for yourself or for others then you can also see other people doing it mm. so you can even then be sad when you see somebody else doing fight flight freeze or fall like you can spot it much more mm. easily oh that's what they're doing and then you can be really sad because they're covering over 
this beautiful thing that could enable them to connect with others. And we're all caught up in that. And I think that's the big sadness for me, that sort of sense of like, oh, my God, I just spotted myself do it. Mm. And then this other person did it, you know, because I was, you know, I lashed out at them and then they lashed out Mm. me and it escalated. And that's what we're all caught up in. And it's just so shit, you know, and it's it's deeply, deeply sad Mm. that, you know, that that, you know, on an interpersonal level, that person doesn't feel safe enough with us to tell the truth they have to cover it over with lashing out or fawning or whatever and it's also really sad on a global level you know that yeah like whole groups of people just don't feel safe enough to be able to be sad or, or express their sadness because you know they're literally not safe enough to do so mm. yeah wow that's really so that's important stuff yeah and it's that thing about spaciousness isn't it and giving people the opportunity like the 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 opportunity just again speaking about well we're going to talk about this a little with when we're talking more specifically about intersectionality but it is the the opportunity for feeling sad is disproportionately uh mm. even that is dis- disproportionately distributed i mean um, yeah and so an evil distribution again like yeah. who gets to feel sad who gets to feel angry who gets to feel joy yeah yeah who gets to like, feel all those so... things whenever they want yeah to. Yeah, yeah. Like you're more free to have the full gamut of emotions the more privileged you are. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, intersectionality and sadness. So, um, do you want to kick us off on this part, MJ? You got some. Yeah. This is, so, well, it's, it's what... quite relevant to what's going on at the moment. It sort of goes in from what we were just saying, yeah. I suppose, that sense of like, you know, there's a potential for sadness to link us to absolutely everything. Um, like, I certainly feel like when I can access that vulnerability I have as a survivor and as a trans person at the moment with Me Too and the trans moral panic, like when I can really get in touch with that sadness, it can link me to other people in those communities, but potentially also belong beyond those communities to other people who are being undervalued and treated as if their lives matter less. And it's a nuance to this because you don't want to be saying, you know, all experiences of oppression are exactly the same Mm -hmm. or, you know, everything's equally bad or something like that. But I still think there's a place for the feeling, Mm -hmm. all these feelings, in fact, to connect us. You know, if we feel fear, we can connect with somebody else who feels Mm -hmm. fear right now. Or if we feel sadness, we can connect with somebody else who does. but you know it's important to think like who yeah who gets to feel sadness and who gets to express it and i'd invite everyone to think about those circles that we often use Mm -hmm. of like you know what does wider culture say about people like us with Mm -hmm. sadness what do our communities say is okay you know maybe our faith community or whatever like what does our fam what were our family rules growing up Mm -hmm. you know and what are our own for us and also those axes of intersectionality it's like what's what's okay for men to do yes this is how it goes (laughs) what's it okay for men and women and non-binary people to do what's it okay Mm -hmm. in terms of race or faith or uh, sexuality or disability yeah um and um yeah, I, th- I think it's okay to mention this because she's put it out as a blog post. Um, there's a blogger and person on Twitter called Aisha Small um, and was just saying on Twitter today, um, I'm just going to read out the tweets. Mm-hmm. Um, For a black person in a predominantly white country, the effects of racism are probably best compared to a form of PTSD, which is why the angry black person narrative is so reductive. Anger is some people's response to trauma. Maybe they want to cry, but vulnerability requires mm-hmm. trust. And how are you going to trust if you don't feel safe? 
or if the things that you know are very real aren't even acknowledged as happening, like the gaslighting you were talking about earlier, Justin. The closest parallel here may be domestic violence or sexual abuse. And later, um, saying a little bit more, um, she said, maybe it is anger that people are feeling, which is entirely valid, or maybe that anger is a safer way of expressing despair, fear, sadness, shame, or disappointment. And I thought that really captured it so well of like, yeah. you know, both, yeah, both obviously the dis- dismissal of the angry black person, which we self and see, but also like, yeah, who gets to, who gets, who's safe enough to collectively mourn mm-hmm. or in what spaces, you know, maybe it, it simply isn't safe for black people on social media to be expressing emotions other than anger. It might be safe within their own communities, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, so, yeah, it just seemed really important to have that race piece in there about yeah who gets to feel grief and sadness and who doesn't and where is it safe enough to do so that's uh it's so powerful um mm. it's so it's the again this kind of links to our anger podcast um but the the and um, what we talked in there about when i think we were talking about judith butler's idea again um about grievability like who yeah. um, who is more likely to be grieved? Who is more likely to um, uh, who is allowed to grieve as well? So who who, mm. who do we grieve for, and who is and but also who is allowed to grieve? And and this is the thing is that yeah, the, this thing about um, the thing that you just read out that I was just saying that um, in order to be sad, in order to to grieve, you need to be vulnerable, and you need and needs you need you need to be trusted and yeah um but also how do we uh, outwardly express sadness like where are this where where do we allow outward expressions of sadness you know other than at funerals mm-hmm. um you know where where is that okay you know i think it's uh, there just aren't enough spaces yeah uh, and also the spaces where they are allowed are again disproportionately um absolutely uh you know it's yeah and we need to think about you know i was thinking then about you know an obvious place to go there is this concept of white women tears Mm -hmm. right which is that you know when there's an encounter often between a black woman and a white woman um you know and a white woman's accused of being racist or you know even even there's the vaguest mention that they might be you know this sort of collapsing into tears place um which often takes away all of the focus, you know, makes it all about them, takes away the focus on the, the actual thing that was the problem, the mm-hmm. bad behaviour in the first place or the system mm-hmm. that was poor, bad for the, the black woman. Um, I'm reading Alison Phipps's book at the moment called Me Not You, which mm-hmm. is all about the whiteness of the Me Too movement and how risky that is. Got that on um, order, it looks great. It's really good, yeah. So, you know, it's really important to think about those those intersections of gender and race in relation to Me Too and just how white women's kind of victimhood gets used in some really dangerous ways so she's talking about you know it's kind of the the paint the painting of the good survivor who is usually a young white woman mm. and then calling on the criminal justice system to come in and protect mm. when we know the damage the terrible damage the criminal justice system does mm. um to to black people mm. in general um and also in various other intersections mm. right so um so yeah but, you know, the, the tricky thing with that is like with the white women tears idea, which I've struggled with a little, is like, but is that saying, you know, that kind of 
it's not okay to express sadness. Like if somebody does collapse into tears, you know, that, that's kind of my, my go-to response often when I'm, I feel really bad about hurting somebody. So, you know, what, what's the deal there? And I think it's, um, it's about, you know, it can be done in a really performative way. And that really is a problem. Like if you are really, you know, that you're doing it and you're just trying to make it about you and trying to get, trying to escape legitimately looking at what you've done that's hurt somebody, mm. then not okay. You know, but grief could be and sadness could be a really important part of recognising when you have hurt somebody else or when the systems you're implicated in hurt other people. Mm. And there, you know, you would want the grief because you don't in a way, you don't want people to just be crushed into shame because then they won't do anything. They Mm. won't mobilise and they won't start doing something different. So I think there it's a bit like who are the people to express that sadness to? Mm. You know, like if you've hurt somebody or you've violated someone's consent or the systems you're implicated in make life harder for a marginalised group, it's not for you in the position of um, the more privileged Mm. to then expect that person to look after your sad feelings. But it is really good to have the sad feelings and to really feel that pain of Mm. like, oh my, you know, oh my God, I'm a feminist. Like I'm all about fighting against oppression and I realise I've just been caught in some oppressive practices yeah. or at least in or at least in not seeing that, mm. you know, somebody else was being hurt. Um, and I thought this, um, I think it's called Ring Theory or something. It was mm. um, a, an article a while back about somebody with breast cancer and they were getting so fed up with everyone turning to them for support mm. about how sad they were feeling about, you know, her, her illness. And it had this, again, concentric circles and the idea was like the people less impacted go to them for support like go out you yeah. go out for their to them support you and then you give support inwards and i thought that there's something like that could be useful here it's like you, you know somebody tells you you've hurt them mm-hmm. especially in in a kind of oppressive way mm-hmm. it's not you know your sadness doesn't go in to them that yeah. <laughs> you ask them to support you through your sadness but you go out to like yeah more privileged people yeah. or the folks around you on a similar level to support you in like oh shit i fucked up mm. how you know what do I do to be accountable for this? It may be that person never wants to hear from you and that's okay. Mm. You know, sort of similar, you know, again, with a consent violation, it's like mm. you don't go to the person who survived your consent violation. Yeah. They may never want anything to do with you, but you do go to the people on the same level as you and out mm-hmm. and an outer level to support you through like owning that, being accountable, making sure you, you do better in future. Right. That's so interesting. And, and there's a place, there's a real place for grief there because my God, you know, you should that's what you should be feeling is, yeah. you know, incredible sadness and grief. And that's much more helpful than, again, than just going into shame or blame, I think, to be able to really grieve it, that moment where you hurt somebody or somebody got hurt because of your behaviour. Politically, it's really important mm. because um, I, guess, I guess in those situations with, of white women tears, you know, a white woman at a conference mm. being called out for uh, racism, however gently it is, um, mm people don't like to you know, the the people's experience of not feeling okay and being told that they're in the wrong or their experience of what looks to them like anger um might just have might put them in react mode uh yeah. so as you were talking about but the but the, but yeah the it's so in that i guess in that situation you just be quiet leave the room find find yeah. your support people and then but you have to experience it don't you, you have to like go through it you can't yeah slough it off or dismiss it um it has to and be this is um, why, yeah. yeah and this is part of why call out culture and public shaming are problematic because they often in- insist on a really immediate response mm. and i think we need to give people time to feel grief and guilt mm. you know 
if people respond immediately, they're likely to be responding much more in that reactive place um, where, yeah, they are going to go into those reactive responses. And none of, you know, n- none of us probably have a very easy relationship to being called out or told we've made a mistake or anything. So I think it's like in an ideal world, we'd move to a culture where we'll obviously call in rather than call out mm-hmm. if possible, name the behavior rather than saying the person's bad. Mm-hmm but then enabling people to have space to do something. And, you know, ideally that it's the, the people, the people around the person who've got hurt can do the conveying the message rather than the person who's been yeah. hurt having to do it themselves. And then the people around the person who's done it yeah. will support them in fe- really feeling the grief and, you know, addressing whatever it was in the most appropriate way. Yeah. It's not, there's never going to be a perfect way of handling this stuff, but it's certainly not perfect at the moment. No. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about men and masculinity for a bit. Mm. And it's interesting because that thing you're saying about ring theory um, reminds me of you know, the classic situation of a man in a heterosexual relationship that's just broken up. Uh, and who does he go to? Instead of having other outer circles of other men yeah. he could go to, goes to the person he's just broken up with or has just broken up with him uh, or the person that he's been abusing or the person who has been abusing him. Yeah. Because like, um, that's the only emotion, relationship that he can do those emotions yeah, in. Yeah, like so many, uh, I've worked with so many men who's the, the only time that they're ever able to feel safe and trusted enough to have any sad feelings or any vulnerable mm. feelings at all was with um, a woman who was doing all this emotional work uh, never allowed to yeah. feel her feelings but um, more broadly we're, as we're talking about the intersectionality of um, sadness that you know for men uh, it crying is so rarely seen like we rarely 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 see men crying and it's only ever like seen as okay in very limited set of circumstances um, and those are coded by the very small number of things that it's okay to get upset about and I've put here football so um, <laughs> uh, Gaza getting a second yellow card in the semi-final of the 1990 World Cup, England versus uh, Germany, and it was a bad, it was a bad tackle, MJ. It was bad. It deserved a yellow. It deserved <laughs> a booking. But you know, immediately, I haven't, I haven't been listening to this since you said Gaza. I just, I've just gone. <laughs> deserved a booking. He went in and he was rash, <laughs> and then he got a red yellow card straight away, and he knew that he wasn't going to be able to play mm. in. Uh, in the final if we got through to the final and it's a very famous moment in in football yeah I do remember culture. this and um, I was 14 I was I was just distraught when I was watching this and um, it's like the first time I'd ever seen a man cry and we're all wow. watching it like you know so many people in the country are watching this man crying on the pitch and Gaza says you know I'll have a word with him to uh, Bobby Robson it's like Gaza's going to have a word with uh, Gary Lineker's going to go and have a word with Gaza and he's crying and he's on the pitch and we're going to get beaten and it's awful. It's like, that's the only, that's like the only time wow. it was okay when I was growing up and then to be sad, which is like, that's it's a astonishing, isn't it? Football match, but, yeah. <laughs> anyway, and all the <laughs> horrible nationalist jingoism that came with that. But anyway, uh, yeah. Oh, I that. Oh. Uh, anyway, but, um, and the other times when it's okay as well as if, um, Man, it's okay for a man to be sad if he's uh, if he's experienced a loss. So, for example, if uh, someone mm. being a dad, you know, maybe they they've lost their kid or something, or they've experienced some kind of like awful traumatic event, then it's kind of coded mm. as okay because they are like a provider and a protector, and you know, and yeah. so it's like it's. But even then, there are limits to how much men 
allow us to be okay. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about um, about um, uh, like the angry black person narrative um, and mm. how um, you know if we want men more broadly to be um, uh, to be more uh, to be able to express sad emotions, we need to as a culture do something about it. And that's not yeah. asking. That doesn't mean that we ask individual men to be more sad uh, openly, but we would have to create a culture where it's more okay. But mm. the masculinity donut, which is what I talk about at my website, Bish, where we say that uh, that men are donuts, that, uh, that there is the dough of the donut, which is all of the learned behaviours of how it is you're supposed to do masculinity, so being uh, tough mm. and uh, uh, competitive and better than others and... Um, to uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's all like okay masculinity. I'm putting it in certain commas, but the not okay masculinity are all the emotion stuff, like which is the jam mm. of the donut, and that men do an awful lot of work to prevent jam from spilling out because it's seen as not okay, and so uh, you get these very unpleasant donuts where it's all dough and you're feeling pushed into the corner <laughs> of a room as the dough expands, um, in order to protect this jam, which you know the the man is doing everything you can to keep inside and and sadness is very much in the jam of the donut jam yeah and so so much yeah. dough can be and then it's just doing more and more damage to everybody it's doing damage yeah. to the man but it's doing damage in culture and you know this is where the this idea of toxic masculinity means that um that we're just not really, it means that change just becomes harder and so you know there yeah. so as it's less okay for um men to do sadness um it means that there is less work less of this kind of work that we've been talking about can getting done like sa- if sadness is at least as necessary as anger and yet all, all mm. men are encouraged to do and the only kind of emotion it's okay for men to do is anger in the broader culture then it's doing a number on everyone but also i think yeah. crying generally and sad generally being sad generally i think in the culture seen as a weakness like it's seen as yeah. Even where uh, women or anyone who isn't a man does it, it's kind of like it's still not seen as being brilliant, but it's just more okay because it's more under- understandable. Because if you're not a man, uh, or if you, certainly if you're a woman, then you're positioned as weaker, and it's like it's understandable, even though it's not cool. Because the thing that we again line go mm. up the 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 values that we uh, seem to um, value as a culture are aggression and hardness and toughness and stoicism that's right this is why it goes back to vulnerability doesn't it it's like yeah it's really not okay to show vulnerability for anybody is it and it's like and it's just this weird um polarization of vulnerability and strength yeah when really it's you know it's far stronger to be vulnerable and to show vulnerability that takes so much strength and so much courage to do it's incredibly hard well it goes back, whereas yeah. you know being being just bulletproof and hard is not that difficult for a lot of people it's you know like to actually show vulnerability but we're so encouraged to cover it over yeah yeah like really not seen as okay just oh it wouldn't be great if we could just cry in the street and if we could just see people in tears just as much as we see people laughing or having a shower you know it's just yeah. would be such a good world right and for it not to i mean if i saw someone crying in the street it's so rare that i'd be like oh what do what what should i do here like this is the, feels yeah. like an emergency and actually it's just a it's just a feeling and that's like can't we yeah. get to that i mean Again, it's just it's this paradox that we talked about at the beginning of the show about 
three and a half hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> yesterday morning when we began this when, podcast. <laughs> when Winnicott was talking about this as a paradox, that um, mm. you know that it's seen as something that we need to dismiss and negate, and the more we do it, the less mm. strong we're going to come out of it as a result. Um, there are going to be kind of ongoing vulnerabilities. You know, if you think about if we think about James Bond and the the opportunity for James Bond to be sad, it should be sad the whole time. Oh, we've time. talked about donuts and James Bond in the last we'll ten minutes. Right so I'm just loving this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I guess a useful kind yeah. of uh, thought experiment for you to take away, dear listener, would be you know next time you see a depiction of like a, a hard man doing hard things, if he really is mm. that tough, if the if it's if it's if it is this kind of like bulletproof Teflon toughness. Imagine an alternative story where he's going through all the sadness, all the feelings, but he's particularly been able to deal with sadness and grief and loss mm. and come out of it and then come out of it stronger. Like, you know, maybe that's yeah. the thing we have to like just imagine because we'll certainly never see it with um, in the next Bond film. You know, he's sad for like Sadly. two minutes and has a whiskey and or a yeah. martini and then... Well, every bond they they do like oh finally a more vulnerable bond and then you watch him and you're just Bollocks. like oh no you know he oh, was like okay yeah Timothy Dalton was a little bit more yeah. um, vulnerable than uh, Roger Moore and then but then no one Daniel like Craig ones. was a little bit more <laughs> vulnerable than Pierce Brosnan yeah. you know? Pierce Brosnan wasn't vulnerable no I can't I'm not sure I could adequately describe Pierce, Pierce Brosnan <laughs> anyway. <laughs> It was a step a step backwards, I think. <laughs> Sean and Daniel all the way, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, I think that Roger Moore is uh, oh, criminally <laughs> underrated as a bomb. I think the films were bad, bad. I, really bad. Bad films, but I think he was a good bond. Okay. But yeah, we can agree to disagree. Fine. I'll do a raise Roger Moore eyebrow for our oh, people funny, watching. I can raise YouTube. my eyebrow. I would love that. <laughs> Right. We're on the final section, and we're going to yeah, give you some away takeaways. Uh, so some yes. things to. Um, so we've talked a bit about some of this, but it's nice to kind of round things up with what how mm. to move forward with this. So MJ, yeah, kick us off. I guess it's about yeah, it's about anything that we can do to get in touch with our sadness um, and with these kind of feelings of fragility, vulnerability, sorrow, grief, just allowing them as much as possible. Mm. So the stay with feelings zine has some suggestions in um, anything you can do to just like be with the feeling and often like going to what other sensations in the body and really trying to breathe into those can be good. Mm. Um, and for a lot of people, it's much more helpful to have witness though, and to do it collectively, like you yeah. said. And I think, you know, a lot of people do find it much easier to cry in therapy, for example, mm-hmm. than on their own. Um, so, you know, therapy and other forms of support can be really good mm-hmm. to make space to just to do that grieving and sadness. Um, and as I said, like sharing circles can be a really good one. Um, then, you know, more financially accessible and just everybody having five or ten minutes to share how they're feeling about stuff that's mm-hmm. going on at the moment or maybe even specifically sharing about sadness um, can be a really good one. And then there are those more like Buddhist meditations where you know, Pema always suggests start with something that really cracks you open. Mm. So she uses the example of um, her teacher seeing um, an, an animal being really hurt. And, um, you know, he just always could go back to that moment 
you know, that he couldn't do anything about it. And he was seeing this and just seeing the pain in the animal's eyes. And like, it doesn't matter what you start with, but something that can elicit that feeling of sorrow and kindness and compassion in yourself. Mm. And then like doing that work of trying to extend it out. And and she says, it's not, it's not like you're trying to like, oh, I need to be compassionate to everyone. Mm. Um, oh, you know, I tried expanding out to my friends and I couldn't even feel sadness for them or compassion for them. Mm. So I'm failure. It's much more like, oh, where am I blocked? You know, mm. okay, so I started with the dog. Then I tried to feel it for myself. Mm. I could kind of feel it for myself when I was five, but I couldn't really feel it for myself as a teenager. Or tried to feel it for Justin and I managed him, but then I tried some other friends and <laughs> it sort of shut down. Like, you know, what's it about Justin that he can elicit my <laughs> sadness when my other friends can't? Or, you know, I could manage it for my friends, but not for strangers. Mm. Or, you know, where's the where the blockage? Mm. And that's just really, you know, get curious about that. It's not like right and wrong. We're all going to shut down on sadness really in, in various places. Yeah. And it's like, again, really the important thing is to notice where we shut down and like interrogate that and spend time on it. There's no, no one who's going to be able to just be able to feel this for the whole world. But, you know, do we shut down? Yeah. On people who are not like us. Or do we shut down? Are we all right with anyone who's a victim? But we shut down when we try and think about anyone who's ever perpetrated. You know, again, intersectional feminism would say we always need to connect with the oppressor in ourselves because we've all got it. So if we struggle to um, connect with any kind of oppressive behaviour, that probably means we're more likely to do it rather than less likely. So it's sort of like, can we feel the pain of everyone caught up in all of these dynamics? That would be where we're where we're trying to get to, albeit it's a lifelong journey. That's a really interesting point. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of people say, just to talk about the news as well, a lot of people say that they just kind of switch off the news or avoid news. And I think that, you know, there is good self-care practice to be had in that. And I think there's only so much mm. news. But there is currently yeah. news. There is the the, the George uh, Floyd um, killing uh in the u.s is news happening at the moment i think that the thing is is that even if even though we're overwhelmed with news overwhelmed with news and also overwhelmed with the potential to be sad i think that it is important to to allow or or to allow yourself to give yourself permission to feel sad about something which we should feel sad about i think it's just i think it's just good practice and I think that mm. that is a thing that we could feel sad about. And I think it's a thing we could well, feel might, sad about. Yeah. But even I think if we, we might feel anger about it and a hopelessness about it, but the only way to do anything about it ultimately is to at some point feel sad about it because it's only through mm. going through the feelings of feeling sad can we come out the other side with the resources to be able to do something about it. Yeah, and you might think about like how you navigate that for yourself, I suppose. Yeah. You know, it, it goes back to that self-care thing of like what we engage with, mm. you know, like the maybe ways of engaging with news that ensure, you know, that we get the stuff that we really need to know about yeah. and that we do make contact with these really important moments Um as well as, you know, protecting ourselves. I think you said it really nicely, you know, something about, like, get, get the news story, but don't get all of the hot takes, yeah. you know, and don't get overwhelmed with, like, being on social media and what's everyone saying about this. Yeah. But, you know, maybe you could use that, you know, maybe you could use that time. Maybe it's much more about, like, here's the here's the story, here's what happens. Now I give myself 15 minutes to feel sad about it or an hour to really, you know, connect with that sadness. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe a more bit days of or weeks, or depending something. on how much it. Yeah, exactly. 
like actually allowing the sadness because in a way just getting a that can be one of the ways we avoid the sadness isn't it yeah. like to try and just he- hear everybody else's thoughts about it mm. and also it's okay if you can't reach sadness you know because you're just overwhelmed with anger first and foremost or fear mm. or you know because it, it hits so close to home that sadness feels too too dangerous to go to or you haven't got safe enough others mm. and i suppose that that would be another thing for takeaways is you know can we think about who our sadness posse are you know yeah. like who are our go-to people like can we have that conversation with them about how we want to be around each other in sadness yeah mm. and can we have um can we just open up conversations about sadness with people can we you know is there someone that we know that we have a collective memory of sadness about and mm. that we could open up a you know not that we want not suggesting that we necessarily might value from like making everyone feel sad when we're sad because there's something very non-consensual about that but um Mm. but just to be able to connect with someone who you know might have had some or might will have some sad feelings about for example someone that you've lost or something um yeah and the ability i think it's just about also being there's an honesty thing here as well isn't there it is just Mm. about being honest and avail about our feelings and allowing them to be available to us but allowing us to be able to speak about, about them with other people because then also we're modeling with other people that mm. it's okay to have those feelings and ultimately that comes back to what we, where we started with with Winnicott which is that you know if parents allow their kids to be sad then they build the resources and the capacity to be sad more easily and they yeah. build the resources to be sad, feel sad, and come through it. And so it is yeah. more, it is it is a practice thing. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. That, um, and I think, you you know, neuroplasticity suggests we can relearn different relationships with sadness, you know, in our bodies and our brains as well. So I think there's hope to be had. But yeah, I like your, uh, the person you were saying who was making a time for sadness or mourning, you know, every couple of weeks. It's a yeah, you know, I talked a bit about. Yeah, yeah, I talked a bit about again Buddhist practices of like regretting things every two weeks. You could make space for gratitude, regret, mourning, you know, whatever. Just you going know, over yeah. a vivid memory of a time where you were sad, though, of of something that you just, yeah, like just over the last couple of minutes, mm-hmm. I've been think just reminding myself of how it felt to be at my dad's uh, wake and that. There was definitely there was joy there. There was you know laughter, but there was also there there was definitely you know everyone's feeling sad. It's like woof. Really mm. remember that woof of you know yeah. And it, it kind of gave me permission to feel sad, and it was it was okay, and uh, and everyone else was, and there was something really beautiful about it as well. I think so. There really, there really often is at these kind of collective grieving, mm. you know, often funerals, but other spaces where everyone gets to feel sad. Mm. And the other thing you can do for yourself, if there were times in the past where you didn't get to, is revisit those memories and feel for the, for you now. Mm. And that can be, again, part of that kind of recovering from trauma can be allowing yourself to grieve those moments. They'd probably be, you know, less like, um, yeah, constantly there, like you were saying, I guess, about the melancholy. You know, it's like you can let them go a little mm. if you're able to grieve them, even if you didn't get to grieve them back then. Mm. Mm. That's us on sadness then, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Next up, fear <laughs> slash disgust. <laughs> but I like we've got we've got anger, joy, and sadness down now. <laughs> yeah, we did despair yeah. and hopelessness as well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we I hope you enjoyed that one. 
enjoyed, valued. <laughs> anyway, that episode, dear, gentle, fragrant, uh, and textured and smooth and silky listener and viewer. Of course, any feelings you had were entirely valid, and we hope that you are able to feel them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's. I hope you found it useful. Let's say that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah. Um, so, um, again, some uh, very quick plugs for where you can find more of our stuff. If this was the first of our podcasts you've listened to, we've got a ton of others on this kind of thing and also um, more stuff about sex, which is how we started. Yeah. Sad sex. Yeah, it's a thing. Sex, yeah. Uh, ooh, who knew? Uh, and that's so that you can find all of that at um, megjohnandjustin.com including loads of uh, excellent blogs uh, you can find the rest of our content at patreon.com forward slash megjohnandjustin where from just a dollar a month although ideally more if you have it but as, from as little as a dollar a month you can have access to all of our exclusive shows on Patreon you know how Patreon works by now hopefully um, you can tweet us at Meg John Justin, and we're on the other social medias, but you know, social media is a con, isn't it? We're not really into it. But you can contact us at social at uh, Twitter, uh, and do send us a message if you message if you have any questions for or any topics you'd like us to cover in any upcoming shows. Again, via the contact page at megjohnandjustin.com, where finally you can also find our publications. Uh, we've got some zines about relationships and sex and. Uh, fantasies that you can buy for £2.50 each and you can buy a book uh, A Practical Guide to Sex that's right isn't it they've renamed it that's right there we go yeah <laughs> and it's a handy pocket size you could put it in a tweed coat on a trip to Scotland couldn't you to meet your lover <laughs> after after coronavirus when you're allowed when you're allowed on a train again if you ever want to go that'd on be a train nice again. wouldn't it I would love to go on a train again <laughs> I'm done I'm fine not going really? on a train <laughs> The whole world is oh, so scary right now. Oh, at some point. <laughs> but yes, some point. maybe when the world feels safer, I will be on that yeah. train with my tweed jacket. <laughs> <laughs> all right then. So until next mm. time then. Yeah. Bye. Thanks all. Bye. Bye.